Welcome to the Diageo Bar Academy podcast, Bar Chat. This is Tristan Stevenson. Today I am joined by Caitlin Stewart and Dennis Tamps. Caitlin is a beverage consultant based in Vancouver, Canada, and the 2017 winner of the world-class global finals in Mexico. Dennis is the global relationships director for the Nolet Distillery in Skidam in the Netherlands, which is where Kettle One vodka is made. Hope you enjoy. Okay, I am here with Caitlin Stewart and Dennis Tamsey. How are you doing, guys? Very well. Fantastic. How are you? Caitlin, I've never heard someone so enthusiastic <laughs> at five o'clock in the morning because you're, you're coming from Vancouver and it's a much more um, convenient time for us here in Europe to be speaking to you. <laughs> I have no idea why we scheduled you for 5 a.m., but you are looking bright and fresh. You know, it's uh, I'm lucky. My, my partner works on East Coast time, so three hours ahead of this. So she's always up at 5 a.m. So I've had plenty of practice over the years getting up. Nice and early, but but again, you know, anything for your Dennis Tams and, and you, Tristan. So 5 a.m. is a piece of cake. <laughs> um, so what's the situation in um, Vancouver right now in terms of bars? And I mean, we were recording this at the end of February. What, what's happening there? Yeah, I mean, we're still on a curfew. So, you know, unfortunately, you can't do any alcohol sales past 10 p.m. But, you know, in Vancouver, we have it a lot easier than, say, our, our friends in Toronto and Montreal. Um, so, yeah, bars and restaurants are still open, which is great. Just we have a limited, you know, limited capacity, uh, you know, mask mandate and all that stuff. So it's tough, but it's it's amazing to see people adapt and really, you know, hate the word pivot this year. But it seems like everybody that's like the word of the season, you know, Pantone color of the color of the year. It's like the the word of the year pivot. Um, so it's pretty incredible, though. I mean, our industry is such a um, gosh, like people are so adaptable. So, you know, seeing people take on doing, you know, cocktail kits to go, uh, you know, online cocktail tutorials and classes. It's pretty amazing to see the community still come together. So being in Vancouver, I'm, I'm definitely feeling a bit luckier than than most. But, yeah, the, the fatigue is there and it'd be so nice just to get back to a sense of normalcy, whatever that is at this point. But uh, it could be a lot worse just trying to keep a, you know, a positive headspace about it. So, you know, there isn't like a, I want to get back to normal. I want to get back to normal. I want to get back to normal. It's adapting to this new normal is uh, kind of the key to keep your head on straight, I think. Yeah, I think that's good advice. I think if you're constantly thinking about when things are going to get better, then you lose perspective of where things are right now. And, and then it becomes difficult to be satisfied and happy and, and all that kind of thing. So yeah, good, good tips. You can't really, um, I don't think fully understand the kind of ethos and the story uh, and the DNA behind a brand until you've been to the place where it's made. You can, of course, read up on it and you can know it, but you don't really fully appreciate it, I don't think, until you get to go there. That is one thing that I, well, it's, not, it's one thing of many things I would say about Kettle One is the distillery experience is second to none. Um, and, and certainly the best in terms of a vodka distillery that I've been to. Dennis, obviously, you know the distillery pretty much better than anyone on the planet. Tell us a little bit about what it's like to visit the distillery there. Yeah, um, if you visit us like yourselves, um, you, we opened a, uh, the windmill door. So we rebuilt the windmill. Uh, it's built in 2005, uh, but it's a, it's a real copy of, a, of an old windmill. So back in the days in Schiedam, there were 21 windmills grinding the grains. Now, the windmills were a special kind because it was actually in a, in a village or in a city. Uh, 
there is buildings around all the distilleries and back in the days there were about 400 in Schiedam and the windmills needed to grind the grain but you need wind so you need to put them up to actually get the wind and that's why we call them stelling molen so they were built on a foundation that is already going above the houses and then you have free winds because that's very important to these um, windmills. Um, if you come to the distillery, we, we it's not a museum. It is a working distillery. We have 10 pot stills. They're all, nine of them are made after the example of number one. Number one is coal fired. Yes, coal is not very good for environment. Uh, we will use it, uh, I hope for many years to come. It is uh, the oldest pot still in, in the Netherlands for, for sure. Um, and it's it's uh, all the other nine are an example of it, and they are steam, uh, steam and uh, and gas fired. Um, from that, we of course they only take the heart, and then uh, the rest, the heads and the tails, uh, we will sell them off to other industries. It's about twenty two percent alcohol. Um, and that's I just say this like it's the normal thing in the world, but of course it's not because just what I was saying is. A vodka normally is distilled in the column still. Every vodka, every gin, every uh, Geneva, every gin, every no, most spirits are actually from a column still. Um, but something that we do uh, because it wasn't good enough for Mr. Nolet. First, firstly, we went to specifications in the column steel distillation that goes beyond anybody's imagination. So suddenly, I always talk about the Mark Tyson uh, uh, yeah, punch that you get if you drink a normal vodka. Nothing wrong with that, uh, but it was kind of the signature of vodka, I always say. Um, and Mr. Nolet wanted to have something that was still fresh, but very, very neutral. Yeah? Um, and then we bring it to the distillery and we redistill uh, just a tiny part of that in, uh, in the pot stills, and then we bring them together again with water. And then if you walk through the distillery, you suddenly get to the, the bottling area where we have these crazy things like washing the older bottles with vodka or in this case if we do Geneva we do it with Geneva or gin um, and then it gets to something that is crazy uh, an elevator to move to the other side of, of the of the of the canal so uh, before we we had trucks going up and down uh, because not a lot of people understand but we started in 1691 quite a long time ago it's way too far that you can actually understand that those kind of things um but the sixth generation went to the location where we are today it was just a small distillery where actually bottle number one is that was it and then we had some success instead of what i should do spend it on holidays and cars and bars and restaurants uh, mr let actually bought the neighbors you know and he invested it in really long uh, long distance future and then one day we grew too 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 big. We had to buy uh, some land on the other side of the canal. Um, now fast forward, instead of letting trucks going up and down, uh, we build a tunnel. So we have the only privately owned tunnel in the Netherlands. Once you're on the other side, then suddenly you're in the future, I guess, in uh, in 2050, because then it's suddenly robots that that put everything in in a warehouse. So. Um, you know, there's one thing that Mr. Nolet always tells uh, myself, and I'm very lucky, of course, that uh, with the relationship that I have with the family, that I'm very close to them. So um, you know, he, from day one, he was, um, no, it's two things, basically. He would always say, don't tell me anything until you're here 17 years. You know, I don't want all this new information. Yeah. <laughs> so I think it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's pristine, but all, in the other hand, you know, it needs to be because you're, it's, a, it's a liquid you have to drink. So uh, it's good if it's, uh, it's very pristine. Is that 
a little bit of what you experience when you come there because yeah it's, for me it's more difficult than for you i guess i think picking up on what you said right at the start when you're describing the distillery that it's not a museum um is interesting because it does feel like a museum when you're there it feels like a working museum um with you know in the in the distillery section you've got all these kind of brick jacketed pots and obviously like you say there's the coal-fired one um there's huge great like ceramic jars that um i believe are to do with botanicals for the geneva or the gin production and then you you kind of it's like time travel you kind of go on this tour from 1691 or you know from hundreds of years ago right through to probably 20 years into the future because by the time you get under the canal you've got all these pallets being organized by robots it just feels like it's this beautiful clash of modernity and tradition rolled into one distillery that is sprawling it's spread out and uh, like i'm i've been i've been there quite a few times i'm lucky and it's not that far from you know in the uk um and every time I go there, I'm still blown away because then you've got this windmill as well. I think it's one of the biggest windmills uh, like it of is. its kind the in the world. Windmill isn't it? of its kind in the world, yes. Yeah, it's, all, it, it's producing green electricity, uh, which is which is easier said than done, actually, uh, because uh, n- new windmills that you see in the sea, all over the world nowadays, they're, they're horizontal. Uh, perfectly horizontal and this is of course a windmill which is built like a chimney so once you try to put the new system onto a chimney uh, you you have a disconnect so we needed uh, two universities and uh, and some thinking power to make that happen uh, in back in uh, 2005 Uh, but uh, what what we did so caitlin you've you've been yeah yeah i mean it was one of uh i mean last time we did world class all together in 2019 we got really lucky to kind of do the little journey from Schiedam uh over to sky and then ending in glasgow but i mean yeah like as dennis was saying you could easily put that distillery in the top 50 of all distilleries in the world it's it is pretty incredible like you know even just you know rolling up to the place and like you said seeing that windmill and you know always just seeing it on the bottle and you know you kind of just are like oh yeah this is cool but then you see it in person you're like oh no this is really cool well like you said tristan i mean it is kind of like walking through like a history museum too just with you know all these amazing i mean i know dennis loves to take uh, photographs and there's amazing photographs all over the walls uh, of over the years of special occasions and events and you know people that mean a lot to the family and you can just see like the love and uh, the care that goes into the product like they're all still so down to earth and so passionate about what they do and you know they've been making it for gosh like you said how many years <laughs> Well, they're on the 11th like generation of master distillers and it, it's pretty incredible to know that uh, you can go to this place and experience it so I mean hopefully we can kind of get back to that because you know like you said experience it virtually is is amazing because it's a great opportunity for people who maybe you know can't afford to you go all the way to Schiedam and experience it uh, in person but being able to you know have tidbits of it here and there um, virtually is awesome as well but yeah there's nothing quite like actually going to the distillery and seeing kettle uh pot still one you know working its little heart out uh producing this amazing liquid that we get to so enjoy um 
I, I, most people listening will probably be aware of the sort of long history of Geneva distilling that the Netherlands has and, and, and parts of Belgium as well. Um, and probably also be aware that, that Geneva is, um, you know, really in, at the heart of the history of the Nolet family. And, and for much of their time, they were distilling Geneva and, um, and making liqueurs and things like that. But Dennis, I wonder if you could speak a little bit to the sort of more recent history and with Mr. Nolet and him coming on. Because I remember when we've talked before, you, you mentioned how there was a vast range of products um, when he sort of took hold of the company. And one of his sort of greatest acts ever was to strip it right back. And that basically saved the business. And it's hard to believe now, but, it, you know, the business was struggling a, a few decades ago. Do you want to talk a little bit about to that? Of course, anything. Um, yeah, and I think it's also a good lesson to everybody listening, because sometimes you need to steer away from the masses and go your own path, you know. And um, before I go in there, and I know I, I never answer a question like you're, you're asking me, but um, <laughs> because, I, this, because the beauty is also that I, I'm there now 10 years uh, uh, next month, and there's so many things um, actually happen in one one thing that I will never forget is Mr. Nolet uh, calling me and Bob and his other son, uh, Carl Jr., that is actually running the United States, in his office and telling us, you know, oh, I was so lucky because in my time, it was just me. So when I thought I had to go right with something, I just did it because there were nobody would tell me that I shouldn't do that. And you guys, you have all these people around you that's trying to stop you from doing what you actually think that you have to do. So, um, yeah, that is sometimes such a different era. Um, yeah, let, let me, let's uh, go back to the question. So it was Mr. Nolet actually working. In, he's the middle son of three, uh, three boys. So if anybody thinks, oh, why there's no girls in there? Because uh, there weren't any girls in the 10th and in, not in the 9th, not in the 10th and not in the 11th. In the 12th, just to, to be sure to tick this box, uh, there is four of them. So good times are coming. Um, <laughs> but um, in the so the ninth generation, his dad was uh, running the distillery. It was of course horrible times. You know, if you think times are difficult now, uh, uh, the Second World War was uh, of course uh, another level. So uh, he took over for uh, he came uh, uh, he took over from his dad, or his dad actually asked him uh, come back. He was working in the shipping industry in London. He loves London, and uh, uh, he was working there. And, he, uh, and his dad basically said, uh, "I need your help." So he came back. Uh, he started to, to uh, work there. Uh, You've been there in the little office, you know, sitting in the in the small space, uh, and 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 uh, working alongside his dad. Then he took over from his dad. Um, he bought out all the family members that were still in there because he had a very crazy few on the future I, I'm, I, I guess I'm allowed to say that so from uh, one more step back um, Geneva uh, gin everything of course comes from the Netherlands Belgium a little bit of uh, Germany and France 330 years ago family member came to Schiedam uh, there were about 400 distilleries at one point after the world war there were only 40 reopening uh, so the ninth generation had to cope with the problems that we uh, that we yeah that were still from the world war difficult times, um, but he managed to keep the the, uh, the distillery open, um, and then the tent took over. We were making uh, about 40, 38, 40 different products like all the other forty distilleries in Schiedam, and you know uh, so every hour almost you have to fix the bottling lines, which was all by hand, I guess, in those days, but still it was a lot of work and no focus. So he thought if, you know, there's only one future 
possible if I completely focus. I stop doing what all the others are doing because you're just in a price fight. You know, it is 10 cocktail bars in the street. It makes no sense to do exactly the same thing. Um, so uh, he, he changed the whole setup. He, uh, he firstly uh, took a second mortgage on his house, bought the family members out. There was no future at all. Uh, we were basically down to nothing. And then um, he started to focus on making the best Young Geneva for him possible to make. Uh, which is still uh, a very good seller in the Netherlands nowadays. It's Ketelaine Geneva. Uh, don't get your hopes up around the world because we will never uh, bring it to you. Uh, we have Kalawan Vodka for the rest of the world and Ketelaine, we keep it to ourselves. But um, no, but it's just because it bears the same name. It would be too too complicated, yeah. you know. Maybe in the future we will do something with you. And confusing a story, I think, for a lot of people. I mean, yeah. I, I guess there's some consumers who would find it difficult to kind of resolve the fact that there's Kettle One Vodka and then Kettle in Geneva and what is Geneva and then you've got to go down that whole path, you know. Because he did that, so from 40 uh, products to only one, or actually two, because we make one product, Proosje, that is just for Schiedam, nobody else. Um, but the mayor of Schiedam asked us to, to keep doing it, so he did. And but So uh, Kate Lane, and then he started to focus on that. He made it a success, and because it's a success, uh, he had some money to actually... Uh, uh, travel to the United States again, which was completely against the will of his father. But on the day that he left for the United States uh, the first time, uh, uh, there was a little note of his mom to to go for you know to go for his feeling and and, and just go for it. He came to the United States. Long I make a long story quite short. Uh, he saw nobody was actually um, interested in Geneva. It was something that nobody knew anymore, which. Which is strange because before the World War, it was a fastly uh, uh, drunk. Yeah, it was a massive import, massive imports of Geneva yeah. um, going going way back into the 19th century. And you know, a lot of classic gin cocktails. You know, if you go back far enough, really were Geneva cocktails. Um, yeah. That's how how important it was. Dry gin wasn't really a thing in the U.S. until the early 20th century. Yeah, of course, as a proud Dutch guy, I always love to tell the story about gin coming after just a few decades, mm-hmm. hundreds of years after us. You know, <laughs> I always love that. No, but uh, not, nothing to, uh, but it's just uh, it's just um, uh, a Dutch thing of me and I love to make those kind of jokes. Um, but he, he was in uh, in uh, in the United States, San Francisco, and then, he, but he's, what he did see, and he's, nah, he's probably, and that's, it sounds very strange if I say it, probably the smartest business guy that I was in the same room with. You know, you have all these amazing people around the world, but Mr. Norlet is, is something else. It is, it's, um, yeah, I, I, I start to stutter if I think about the guy, you know, he's, um, he's impressive. And, um, and he saw a lot of people drinking uh, vodka cocktails and actually trying a few. And again, I go quickly, but trying a few, it was like, hmm, maybe. And I, and I call it the Mike Tyson punch. He would probably call it something else, but it's quite fierce, you know. It's not a it's not a subtle drink, which I think vodka nowadays it is quite subtle to uh, uh, to drink. Um, so he came back, started to to uh, to try to make his own because he really saw very quickly that that was a future. And uh, and uh, seven years later, he he made Catalan uh, vodka, brought it back to the United States, went to San Francisco, asked a, a gentleman over there in uh, in bar Bix in San Francisco, um, you know, would you mind tasting, uh, you know, what's your favorite vodka? That was his first question. And he asked, would you mind tasting it against mine? And basically our Pepsi test uh, started it uh, because we, we we didn't stop anymore. But it is so, 
it's such a good trick to test our vodka against anybody else. And I think now, you know, so many bars already for the ninth year in a row, Drinks International nominate of actually giving us the prize. I think that's, it's and and it is very strange and people don't don't realize that it is a it is a small company you know very tiny company from Schiedam the Netherlands it is a miracle uh, that that our vodka is so popular around the world uh, it's logic as well if you ask me as an Amsterdam guy I'm more vocal about it but it is of <laughs> course a miracle because there's so many vodkas out there it is but it's also it's also so nice because the quality is you know is is second to none but then also the price point is like super fair you know for like a top quality vodka so I think that's also one of those things where I don't know if that was like intentional or not but like to compare it to some of the other you know premium vodkas out there that you know might charge five ten dollars more twenty dollars more thirty dollars more um it's still reasonable to be able to mix into cocktails and uh to have that quality premium cocktail put on a, a menu or a list and made with high quality spirits which is I mean, as as a bartender, as you know, a bar operator is is something we always look for because we want the quality, but we also want the guest to be able to have it without you know, paying twenty five dollars for a cocktail. <laughs> at yeah, the end of the day, I, I love that. I love that part because it, it it's answering the question in, in many ways because you can say, okay, why did he do the percentage of pot still against uh, column still? Why is it this price? And there's all sorts of whys, and it's all this this answer basically because he wanted to firstly be a, a liquid that you can uh, enjoy all night long with moderation of course but it's not something we if you do way more pot still part and i'm lucky enough to taste it both just neat it is amazing the pot still part is wow it's like that is a dance on your on your palate you know it's beautiful but it will fill you up like maybe a, um, um, a normal bloody mary would you know so and he <laughs> wanted to have something that is light you know, beautiful but light. Uh, so he 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 uh, he did that, but but also he didn't want to overprice it, basically because it is a super super deluxe, whatever you call that nowadays in a marketing. But it's a super premium, but for a premium price, it is more expensive than many, but it is also way cheaper than many others. Um, and uh, and I think it's quality wise, definitely, they would say it's the best vodka that is possible for them to make. But I would say it's the best liquid in a bottle. Sorry. Vodka. <laughs> <laughs> um, speaking about pot still um, versus column, I was wondering, uh, have you so you tried the pot still? Have you tried different pot stills? So, for example, the cold still compared to the other stills. Which are the other stills? Gas or steam? Was the firing on those? Okay. Steam. Steam. Yeah. Steam. Yeah. Uh, uh, no, because uh, because we put them together, so we. It's all blended only, straight away afterwards, is it? Yeah. yeah. I can only taste the the, the pot still batch. Mm. Uh, which from all 10, they come together. So in every single bottle, and that's some of this family belief kind of things, you know, that you can't probably prove. Um, but for every single bottle has some liquid of postal number one. You know, they, those are these little details that are crazy out of the, you know, out of the roof. But, um, but yeah, so no, I, I didn't taste them uh, from different pot stills, um, but I did taste uh, the, the liquid from the pot still, which is uh, something else. I was just thinking about the transition from Geneva to vodka, especially given that um, Mr. Nolet was making a, a young Geneva. They're quite light in style, aren't they? I mean, they're 
they, I would I would sort of class it halfway between gin and vodka in a way. Um, obviously, accepting that the gin came afterwards. Um, it, it's super light, Thanks. so you can. I like that part. <laughs> <laughs> I knew you'd, I knew you'd pick me up on it and say it, so I, I thought I'd get in there. Um, but I was thinking, you know, other Genevas, um, aged ones, uh, high malt wine content ones, are almost like whiskey, really. Um, it's a category that I think probably more than any other sort of sets you up well for transitioning to other spirits because because there's maturation, but there's also, you know, a pursuit of purity and maybe not neutrality, but lightness in, in character. It really covers a broad range of spirit style, Geneva, doesn't it? Yeah. And, and, and that's almost also answering uh, the, the, the last question is it, because it's always his vision as well. That is for a lot of people, you know, so you, it, it's not difficult to make something so special that only 10 people in the world actually like to drink it, you know, and, and, and we as spirit geeks, let's, let's put us in, in for this little part in this, uh, in this uh, block, um, they would, we would love it, but it makes no sense to bring to the next generation. And there's, the first thing that they have to do is make the company ready for the next generation. And that's one of these yeah, crazy things. You know, it's, you could say it's easy to be Bob Nolet. Yes, but <laughs> he needs to keep things going with, together with his brother uh, for the 11, for the 12th generation and the 13th generation. So that, that's, that's, it's a different league uh, there. Um, so, yeah. With, with no less reserve, uh, let's not talk about it too much, but with no less reserve, that was actually the only product that I know and, 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 the, and that there is that he didn't think about the end consumer. He just wanted to make a super special gin, which is out of now. Uh, it is crazy, uh, um, uh, but it's not for the masses. And all the yeah. other products are for the masses, actually, because that's it's partly being Dutch, I guess, being... Um, being a, a, a you know a trader and and also yeah it makes no sense to make that super deluxe geneva that you can be proud of but nobody will ever drink it because it's too difficult to get it or to taste it so, i feel like yeah. you guys did that really well though with like going into the next generation with the kettle one botanicals you know and then canning the botanicals as a botanical and soda like i mean who doesn't have a, a canned beverage on the market these days to so have just to have something like a premium product like kettle one and then you know do the kettle one botanicals and then into a bottled uh, cocktail is again you know talk about the next generation coming up after after bob and carl uh, and moving forward those are definitely the trends that you kind of see now that uh, accessibility and but also quality of of product which you know i i think the botanicals are awesome that way because i know it's legit botanicals that are going in there not just you know uh, flavorings and uh, you know yeah i, I just did uh... No, it's a, it's, a, it's a fair point um, for, like I said, I'm here for 10 years now working with the family and oh, so many years we heard, oh, you guys don't want to innovate or you don't want to do all, because we didn't want to do all these vodka flavors, you know, I think, and that's one of the things we we fight hard for and we did uh, very well, I guess, is not to bring too many on the market because it is, we make the spirit and bartenders make the flavors. You know, it's, it's a simple analogy, but that's, I think, it's the truth. But of course, people at home don't know all these tricks of the trade, and so they can't. So it's always a juggling situation. Um, but with with botanicals, yes, yeah, it is such a such a different uh, mindset, but also such a fast forward uh, uh, mindset, you know. And I, I guess you can talk about it again for hours. But it's a guilt-free product. It's it's such a it, it, it didn't. It, 
just when when we started, but uh, I was in between travels, and we were busy with it quite a while, of course. But uh, and I tasted it, but I don't, yeah, I don't uh, share what I'm doing at the job most of the time at home. Um, but then at uh, one point uh, in between travels, uh, I was at home just on a Wednesday night. I said, uh, "Babe, uh, to my girlfriend, uh, let's have a drink." And she looked at me like. Oh gosh, you know, we have a Houston, we have a problem. You know, this guy just <laughs> is 12 weeks on the road. And as he knows, you know, our job is to be in the best cocktail bars in the world. Yeah, horrible job, I know. Um, but he wants to drink again. Uh, but actually, and then I said, and I saw it, and I said, no, I, I, I mean, uh, a botanical sensoda. And she completely changed. It was the first time for me to actually understand that it's the mindset of people is for us. It's, you know, we understand if you don't want too many alcohol, you put a little more soda and you have less ABV, you know, it's just to, to make it easy. But for, for people like my girlfriend or anybody else, it is, it is very good to have a lower ABV uh, product. And then, um, and, and, and it's just, uh, uh, yeah, I would say guilt-free. I don't know if that's the right word, but. Uh, it is a very different mindset for people. <laughs> Speaking of like innovation, um, I have always got I've gotten the impression that I don't think this is just limited to to the Nolat family, but I think Dutch Dutch businesses in general are very careful and considered before they make decisions. They don't tend to kind of jump into um, new innovative products and and uh, strategies. Uh, you know, overnight, it's always something that's thought about, and I've and I've always got this impression. Particularly, I guess it's it's a symptom of being an extremely old company um, and a, a long family lineage. And I guess the sort of burden of responsibility of not you know denaturing that name um, by doing something silly. So, if that if I'm correct with that, it's I, I'm trying to resolve that with this fact that. Nola seemed to have continually innovated over time and done it at the right time. So what all I can really imagine is that that Carl and Bob um, are, are thinking about these things five to ten years before anyone else is, <laughs> and they're just keeping quiet about it, mulling it over in their heads, maybe sharing it in the business, but not letting out any secrets. And then they act um, with you know great intent at the right time, um, and and it works. Yeah, and also open to. No, not to fight, but to do a good discussion in the mm. inside, you know, because it, it would have been easy to make uh, botanicals and just infuse it with something beautiful that we also know how to get it and then call it botanicals. Like at the moment, and I'm happy about it, the category is growing, but actually the competition that is um, arriving at the moment, they all do this. And, it, and it's t totally not what we are doing, you know. We start with Gala One, we distill it like we would do with a, with um, with uh, uh, Geneva or a gin because gin is more known by people. And then we would infuse it uh, with the botanicals that we have on the label. But we we put a sort of a in between is that that uh, gin distillation or uh, uh, Geneva distillation that makes it so round and beautiful, you know. There was also it, I must say, really honestly, it was also difficult to go to 30%. To have 30% in the bottle and still be nice to drink mm. is a challenge. It's not mm. easy. Um, and, and actually, that putting that middle part in play, which we didn't have in the beginning, but put that middle part in play, that actually yeah, suddenly made the whole story uh, uh, round. So what different flavors uh, have you got with the botanicals? No, what, so we have uh, peach and orange blossom, we have grapefruit and rose, and we have cucumber and mint. But those are the ones that are on the label. 
um, and that you would almost say, you know, if you like a Chardonnay, you go for this and it's like that. And so I, I, I actually, what we try is to, if you like your wines uh, and you drink your wine, what we want is sometimes you think about the Cattle One Botanical. Hmm. You know, for cocktails, okay. we want you to to pick a Cattle One, uh, just a regular, uh, because that's made for it. Um, but if you want, uh, if you drink wine and you want to go go for something else, which is refreshing, which is uh, very low in calories, um, then you could you could uh, have a yeah, we could have some of those uh, drinkers there. So I'm not saying don't drink your white wines anymore, but uh, sometimes think about us. You know, that's a huge market. So there's probably the Dutch. In us as well, you know, we see a possibility there. But I, I, I think um, sometimes in the spirits industry, we are also very good in competing with each other. And uh, I think uh, there's no need for that. There is so much space. And and, and jumping back to the to the, to the story that we had in the beginning about virtual and and real visiting us, they, 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 not everybody will come to uh, all these beautiful cocktail bars, unfortunately, and and don't drink all these beautiful cocktails that I made around the world with cattle. So, uh, but they probably now can actually buy a bottle and feel fine about it to put it in a wine glass and, and fill it up with soda or whatever you fill it up with, you know? So yeah, it's for us, everything is simple and easy, but for a lot of people it isn't, so. Uh, mm. I know Dennis is a purist and he likes his botanical strictly with soda, but I like to spritz it up and do my, my, my botanicals as, as a spritz style with a little, you know, either Prosecco or Brut and a little added, but that's the bartender. Yeah, don't, me, don't, under, yeah, yeah, you know exactly how to do it. And, and I, I, I love to drink them. I don't, but I, that's, that's really the, the, the Dutch guy in me, you know, there's way more potential. If I can make my brother, I always talk about my brother. I actually have one, but if my brother feels fine, to pick that bottle up and something else and mix it together and serve it to his friends or his family, then we win. If I'm going to tell everybody you need to do uh, 50 different uh, things and then also some tincture and some, nobody is, you know, nobody understands it, you know, and, and it's always a, a fight of mine or something that I say in, in seminars always, and I'm really old and I'm, it's 120 years ago, I was last in the bar, but I actually did 10 bar for, for a long time. And, the one thing that I always saw is that people order a beer or a mojito because they just don't know anything else. Mm. And if we want to make people happy, we need to bring them into our cocktail menus. Don't change it too often. And that's a whole different story. But I think botanical is, is, is a beautiful, yeah, beautiful way to bring people into other categories as well. Yeah, you're right. I mean, I think sometimes brands need to lead the way in terms of the right way to serve a drink. But it's also interesting to see how those products might get used in less like unusual or unexpected ways as an ingredient or or whatever. I mean, Kagan, you mentioned that about spritzing it. That sounds good to me. Like a li that little bit of acidity from the wine thrown in there, build a bit of structure, a little yeah. bit of sweetness in there too. Um, I mean, I guess you could you could like sort of Collinsify or fizz it as well, right? And and you know, soda, lemon, sugar, bit of egg white. Oh, there's so many like there's so many avenues you can go down, but like the beauty of it too is that you're still keeping it fairly low ABV, you know, because uh, typically you're going to be adding in some other elements, you know, other spirits that may also be low ABV, so you're not uh, really punching it because you want, you know, I mean the whole point of botanicals, it's got such a nice flavor profile that you don't want to hide mm -hmm. it, you just want to enhance it. 
So yeah, I mean, they're really fun to play with. And, um, you know, as a bartender, it's, it's always a really nice option to have that behind the bar. If somebody is, you know, yeah, wanting that lower ABV style drink, that's maybe something slightly more adventurous than, you know, um, just like a botanical and soda or a kettle one and soda. Uh, it's a nice way to kind of, like you said, you know, shift people in that direction. I mean, we're definitely, I would say a generation or a, a society of, um, you know, want something quick, want something now. Um, so like you said, those like the RTD generation, the, um, the cocktail generation is, is booming right now. So, uh, ready to drink, having a bottle on your back bar. So it's beautifully displayed and you're still, you know, getting to make something at home and not just pop a can top, um, is nice. Cause it's right there in the bottle for you. And like I said, add one more element to it if you wanted to like soda or tonic or ginger beer or whatever you're doing or, ramp it up with a with like a brute or a prosecco to kind of go down the spritz avenue is is quite fun so it is uh it's they're fun products to work with uh, as a bartender it's definitely uh it puts you into a little more creative headspace when trying to figure out how to actually work with them and keep the true integrity there without masking it too much mm. do you think the rtd thing i i wonder if because everyone expects this sort of increasing level of convenience with their cocktails at home or you know, on a picnic or, or whatever, not, you know, outside of a bar, um, that when they do go to a bar, they then appreciate paying for the craft that little bit more because, you know, they're seeing it being constructed as opposed to just pouring it out of a can or a pouch or, or a bottle or whatever. Yeah, I mean, I, I would hope so. Um, I also think too, like, you know, I mean, I started doing, you know, cocktail tutorials on, you know, online for mostly just for like old regulars of mine because I would get inbox messages being like, oh, I really miss sitting at the bar getting a drink made for you. You know, I tried to make, like you say, like a mojito at home and uh, where do you buy simple syrup? And you're like, don't buy it. It's it's in the name. It's simple. You can make it at home. You know, and trying to explain to people that it's actually quite easy to like put together some of these classic cocktails. You know, it's it's pretty simple to make a daiquiri or a mojito or, you know, a Vesper at home. But if you don't have like the proper equipment or have that confidence to be able to do it, you know, it is easier to go to the store and, you know, buy a can of it. So it's nice when people are like, I really love making old fashions, but mine don't turn out nearly as good as the ones that you make at the bar can't wait to come again and sit at your bar and actually have one that's properly made because the ones i'm making at home right now are just aren't cutting it so i think people are starting to appreciate a little bit that uh what we do behind the bar is is, is craftsmanship and it's it's a real job and it's a real uh, um industry that uh that uh, thrives and i think people are hopefully really wanting to come back to it and not minding to pay like you said that little extra for that craftsmanship that's not just like a, a pop top so, Caitlin, I want to talk again. We were talking a little bit about uh, botanicals. Uh, let's talk a little bit about Kettle One itself and, and vodka in general. Um, you know, it's, it's, that's a spirit that has always sort of divided opinion, really. Uh, you know, some, for the, the sort of greatest um, aspect of vodka to some people is its most negative aspect, you know? It's like, do you want this purity? uh and and lightness to your spirit um or you know are you looking for something that with less sort of anonymity and something that shows up more in your drinks so you know we're in 2021 now and vodka's had its sort of high points and its low points and it feels like to me like it's really on its way back at the moment um it's it you know i remember just sort of 10 years ago back when gin was first starting to have its resurgence vodka was I don't know about sales-wise, but some of the bartenders I spoke to at the time, you know, were quite 
um, discriminatory towards vodka and, and its neutrality. But it feels like it's sort of making a resurgence. So where does it fit within a bar program for you at the moment? Ooh, I mean, yeah, the, the, the good and the difficult thing about vodka is it, it is so neutral, right? So it's one of those things where, you know, if you have something great like Kettle One, you don't really want to hide that, you know, nice peppery finish, that, uh, you know, fresh, you know, uh, lemon that you kind of get right off the nose. And so if you're mixing it into, you know, a cocktail that has three, four other ingredients, you know, you don't want to mask it. You want to, you know, celebrate it. So I think where like, especially bartenders, they may have this like, like eh, vodka, it's because they don't know what to do with it. And so instead of taking on the challenge and actually, you know, you know, putting a little bit of forethought into it and figuring out how to enhance it, they rather, you know, switch over to gin because they can pick out one of the 25 million botanicals that's in whatever gin of the moment. Um, so I think it's almost the laziness on some people's uh, part of not actually wanting to, like you said, dive into it. I think uh, vodka is beautiful and delicate. I, I always try to put at least, you know, two vodka cocktails on a, on, on a cocktail list. Um, and again, like something that's booze, uh, booze forward, um, but then also something that's, uh, you know, a little light, lighter and refreshing in style. Um, but that's, that's the thing. You kind of have to do, a little, do your research. I mean, like you said, not every vodka is created equally. So when working with Kettle One, uh, whether it's, you know, Kettle One Citron or, uh, you know, um, one of the botanicals, um, putting a little forethought into it and actually, you know, embracing kind of the flavor profile and the way it sits on your palate, you can actually come up with some really amazing cocktails and some great ideas. I just think it's that daunting task for people that, you know, you know, the other vodkas of the world that uh, either come off really harsh because they're not, you know, beautifully pot stilled and everything else. Um, so all they want to do is mask up the flavor. So instead of masking up the flavor, it's easier to, you know, pick something that's, you know, tastes better all the way around. Um, yeah, I think I think people just need to like, because I don't want to say lazy, but uh, there's that kind of sense of like, embrace, embrace the challenge, embrace the challenge of, of vodka, embrace, you know, trying to be innovative with it and come up with something that's, uh, that's, um, what's the word that enhances it and complements it. Um, mm. cause there's, there's many ways around it. I mean, especially with Kettle One, I've, I've got to travel across Canada a couple of times with Dennis giving seminars on Kettle One and the way he explains it and how it dances on your palate from the tip of the tongue. Um, and you get this like, you know, warm sensation in your mouth. Like, you know, he, he waxes poetically about, about Kettle One that it gives you this like, Ooh, yeah. Like this would be banging in, you know, yeah. Like not just a Bloody Mary and an espresso martini, but, you know, picking out those other nuances of, of what dances on your palate, you can come up with, you know, several different cocktails. Um, so I think it's important because, you know, some people like the neutral, neutralness uh, of it. Um, so it's important to have it on a menu. I think, you know, vodka cocktails are just as important as gin and rum and bourbon and mm. everything else. Sure, it's not going to punch you in the face like a bourbon cocktail or maybe like a really peaty scotch. But that's that's not the M.O. of, of vodka, especially Kettle One. You know, it's supposed to be smooth and it's supposed to be satisfying in a different way. I mean, it's got its devotees, isn't it? Mm -hmm. There's, I, you know, you'll get people, and this is probably true of more than any other spirit, I would say, who will come into a bar, they'll look at a cocktail list, and they'll, if they're vodka devotees, they will pick the vodka cocktail and yeah. they'll mm -hmm. uh, they'll order it, and that's what they want to drink. You know, that there's, a, I, I would say there's a certain type of customer who isn't interested in deviating from that. 
um, which it does say something about vodka and the loyalty that it, it commands to certain drinkers. But I was wondering, like, when I'm coming up with drinks, and I'm interested to know what your take is on this, you know, if you're, if you're looking at creating a cocktail you start to think about what base spirit you might use and you think right cool well i want this drink to be to have a sort of smokiness to it so maybe i'll use a scotch or you know peated malt um or i want this drink to you know have um perhaps some like estery fruity punchiness so i'll I'll pick like a, a jamaican rum and you can kind of base other ingredients around that and sort of match it too and sort of build this uh spectrum of flavor that that constitutes the flavor of the cocktail so where do you sort of see vodka fitting in that into that given that it has this neutrality where where would you what situation would you say right this drink i'm i'm i'm, I'm sort of thinking about and theorizing in my head i mean it's I guess, not gonna work with any other spirit it needs vodka yeah i mean i guess like everybody kind of approaches cocktails differently um i i'm definitely a purist when it comes to classics so even when i'm you know coming up with new ideas i always look to a classic and say, okay, I want to mirror something off of this idea, um, but in a totally different way. Um, and then I kind of fit the spirit into the idea that I'm, that I'm working with. Um, so I kind of, I have my flavor concept going first. So again, like if I'm working, you know, if I want to do something that has, um, even almost like a penicillin variation, but, uh, with a little bit more of like a peppery finish, then you know what I'd be like, you know, it'd be really good for this kettle one because of that, you know, peppery note that I get off of that. And then enhancing the other things, like maybe I'm infusing pepper into the honey now that goes into the, the penicillin with this vodka, because I want to like actually enhance that note a little bit further when it comes to the vodka. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's, I think vodka, like you said, there's so many great cocktails out there that are vodka based. Um, you know, some of them, like say the, the Cosmopolitan, you know, it's it's one of the most you know famous kind of cocktails out there of its time, that uh, you know lends really well as a vodka drink, and I can couldn't see it any other way with any other spirit. Mm. Uh, but there's like a dryness to it, um, whereas you know, especially with Kettle One, it has that kind of nice dry finish on the palate that uh, it works well with cranberry because cranberry is very tannic and has you know has a really nice dry profile to it. So there's definitely ways to fit vodka into any form of cocktail platform. So for myself personally, I always go back to the classics and see how I can enhance them and then, you know, fit my fit flavor profiles with the spirit that way um, and just really look, yeah. to, look to the spirit and try to get as many notes out as possible. I think partly, you know, like uh, Tristan is talking about uh, uh, a kind of vodka drinker. And of course you have uh, also a lot of vodka drinkers are actually maybe in that beer and mojito kind of category, you know, they want to stay on the safe side. Yeah, uh, uh, definitely. Um, but I guess with Catalan, and uh, thanks for saying it, uh, t- talking about my tongue here. Uh, <laughs> for me, it's really, it is really important. And I often say, you know, if you mix vodka up, and of course, in, in with the best of the best, like you, the both of you, but with a lot of bartenders, if you mix vodka up, you will lose the flavor of vodka, which is actually fine with me. But if you understand the ability of Calawan, uh, and I don't want to main, name drop all the time, but the ability of our liquid is that you can add flavors and they will go a long way. And it's almost, and maybe this is a crazy analogy, but it's almost sitting in the train. You know, you don't see the locomotive, uh, but you actually go to the to a, a destination. And that's for me is kettle. You know, you put flavors on kettle, you understand it, and they will go a long way. So I, I'm not super interested anymore in what, 
what flavors it brings because it's so subtle. Um, because if you want flavors, go to whiskey and, and gin and, and, and other products, beautiful flavors, you know, but with kettle, this, it is something else there. It's so, um, it's so light and, and, um, yeah, you can use it if you understand how it works. This is what I was going to say as well. It's an enabler of flavor of other flavors to come together. Um, if you have a, if you're coming, if you're designing a drink and you've got this idea of this combination of, you know, a herb, a fruit, maybe a wine, something along those lines, and you know, this is going to work perfectly well, but a, a whiskey or a rum or a gin is going to upset that balance then that perhaps is the time when you turn to vodka and allow it to sort of be this canvas upon which those other flavors can dance in your mouth alongside kettle one. Then you've got a whole dance troupe going on. <laughs> yeah, I mean, something has to, you know, uh, there's like the conductor of the orchestra, right? Somebody has to, to, to lead the band uh, to be harmonious and be in sync, which I think vodka can, you know, can lend itself to can be that you know that glue that uh holds everything together which is great i mean it's so crazy though like most most vodka drinkers are so devout to like their their one vodka that's their zone like this is what they like if you don't have them on the back bar they're upset like you know it's it's crazy like i feel like it's one of those like one of those um categories of spirits where people are like do or die diehards where sometimes you can like manipulate you know a scotch drinker down a different path if you mm. don't happen to have something in particular right on the back bar but yeah, like vodka drinkers, I've, I've come across a few where people are like, I can't believe you don't have this on the back bar. Like they get so upset and you're like, can you, do you want to try it this way? They're like, no, you know, like, I don't, I don't like my martini like that. No, it's going to change everything I like. And you're like, all right, fair enough. Like all the power to you. Like, if that's what you like, that's what you like. But yeah, it is. They are, they are a bit of a cult, aren't they? In, in some respects, <laughs> some of them, uh, it's some, yeah. that, and serious brand loyalty. And like I said, you know, the, you you won't find someone argue their spirits preference more vehemently than a vodka drinker. I don't think in any category. Um, and it, it's strange that a spirit that is sort of mostly neutral has such a kind of you know a, you know a, a passionate following to it. Um, but it, and and I think a lot of that comes into sort of vodka's history and how it was kind of counterculture and a little bit risque and all that Cold War stuff. Um, and then you know there's there's some strong vodka brands out there. You know brands that you know really have spent a lot of time nurturing their following um, and sort of whipping their their followers, their cult their cult members up into a frenzy. You know, <laughs> um, which again going back to Kettle One, I think is probably one of the more refreshing things about the brand. The the marketing is not sort of overt and and too glitzy and uh, and you know all this kind of like nightclub and polished and you know white marble and everything it feels much more kind of family owned and 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 a, and a craft produced product i'd agree mm -hmm. and while you were saying uh, just uh, um, I, I was thinking about uh, my first trip after many many years on my you know, most wanted list basically finally going to uh, tokyo and uh, sitting at bueno son's bar at high five um and asking him to make a martini but actually with kettle and instead of the vermouth, uh, use uh, uh, a Japanese whiskey. And he looked at me like, yeah, but uh, he did, he made it. And then I, I gave it to him and said, okay, now taste it because I can tell you a million of these stories, but this is what I'm trying to tell you already for so many years. And he was like, he was blown away. And, I'm, and you know, I don't know what he will tell you when you ask him, but for me, there was like, okay, this 
super Japanese master cocktail maker, whatever you call it, but I, I love the guy. But but just that it was so outrageous for me to go, you know, to to ask him to do this because it's so beautifully made. Um, and then and, and suddenly he was like, oh yeah, this actually works, you know. So yeah, you don't taste kettle anymore, but what we talked about before, um, the length is is amazing, and then you get all these beautiful um, uh, lights flavors that, mm. that are in Japanese whiskey that I love uh, myself. Well, I mean, you're you're uh, kind of halfway back to being a Geneva at that point, aren't you? Because you're kind of getting your like malt component and then your lighter spirit component. As uh, I don't think there's any um, great uh, great uh, coincidence that that's what you ordered, to be honest, Dennis, because you're pining. Maybe it's just my DNA. Exactly, it's in your DNA, up, man. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, one of my favorite twists on a martini, it, it's called a burnt martini when you add a little bit of uh, peated scotch, just like a drop or two, you know, the same amount as you would vermouth. You know, less probably like less than five mil uh burnt martini but i do it with any scotch um and it's delicious and you know what i'm basically making a geneva martini at that point um and that's why I it's delicious i really thought of it that way but that uh it, it's very true yeah burnt martini yeah. is kind of like a a poor man's martini. <laughs> yeah, pretty much um so let's finish up by just heading back to vodka briefly what do what does the future hold um if dennis if you could perhaps spill all the secrets of what the nolet family have in store for us over the next 10 years that would be great. Yeah, I can. Easy. We have in store that you take care of your community. We want, and that's, I wake up every day. And, and, and believe me, it's not about the, the, the case sales anymore because at the, at the, it's beautiful to, to win. Uh, but at a certain point, it is also, yeah, what else is there? Um, so after a lot of conversations with the family, we, we basically have the, the following thoughts process. It's like, Okay, it's kind of clear to definitely the best in the industry what we are and what our quality is. You know, that's that's a no-brainer, and, and, and it's for everybody. It it is also a no news if we keep on talking for the next ten years on DBA, which is a beautiful platform, by the way. Um, talking about how good Kettle One is, you know, that's boring. A little back, three, four years ago, we started it with World Class in in, in, in Mexico, where we're inspired by Kevin Patnot from the US, uh, living and competing for uh, for Turkey in that uh, that moment. And 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 he brought us to instead of going to a CO2 emissions and all that stuff, really going for uh, a community-based thing. In, in 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 his project, it was the Hive. Um, I, I walked over to him uh, together with Bob. We said, do you mind? You, know, you really opened my eyes to the last little notches that we needed it. Uh, do you mind if we use your idea and, and make this a global phenomenon? And I can say with, it, was, it wasn't easy and it's still not. Uh, but the beauty is if you just start, it will get bigger and bigger and bigger. And, and now um, the last weeks, I get all this um, information about the new World Class competition. And as I see the people caring about their bees, uh, uh, helping their beekeeper or whatever projects, but little projects that actually have an impact on their community, it's amazing. We can actually, as bartenders, make a difference. Um, uh, a couple of years ago, I had a, a discussion with, uh, it was actually also in, in Vancouver, which is probably one of the most beautiful cities in the world. Sorry for all the other people. <laughs> um, such an amazing, beautiful place. Amazing. But uh, I was uh, having a chat with Lauren Mote and, uh, and, and before I had it with Paolo uh, Figurego, uh, our global ambassador, and saying, Paolo, I don't get it. Why did everything we put in cocktails is so much better than 20 years ago, 
but we still use refined white sugar. Hmm. What happened there? You know, what use honey and your drink goes to 10 times better, you know? Uh, definitely with vodka because a little bit of flavor uh, complexity in there will make a better drink. Um, and, and then we started to go on that journey and now you see uh, so many bars already thinking about it or changing it. And I'm not saying the whole cocktail menu, but something on the menu. And it would make me super proud if in 10 years time, this is a global phenomenon. Uh, and already a lot of bartenders make me proud of, of, of the things that are happening. Um, Jeff, from actually uh, uh, Caitlin's town. Um, he, you know, he was inspired by basically me and Bob and the rest of the family asking in the world-class uh, competition, you know, think about your drink and what can you change in your drink? So I don't want to go completely crazy, just a simple thing. What you can you change in your cocktail that has a positive effect on your community? And, um, and basically he got inspired. He was walking from home over to uh, the uh, probably one of the most beautiful hotels in the world uh, where he was working. Uh, the Fairmont in Vancouver is a stunning view. Um, sorry, I go, uh, my mind goes traveling, needed sometimes. <laughs> um, but he, and, but on his way, because Vancouver is, yeah, one of these cities in the world that is, yeah, the house pricing is uh, uh, yeah, skyrocketing. Don't gotta tell uh, me so, twice. <laughs> yeah, 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 you have that problem there. But um, so a lot of people living on the street and, um, and actually it may, it, you know, uh, so he started uh, to think about, okay, what if I have my cocktail, instead of a garnish, I put a token there, the token word something, and you go to a, a place that calls Nice to Meet, which is a location that is run by an ex-homeless person in Vancouver. And um, so all these people with enough money, because it's a high, very high-end cocktail bar, uh, would go to his, uh, his bar, have a drink, and then uh, with Kettle One, have a token, Next time they walk in the street to probably go to their taxi or to their car um, and they can give the, this token to a homeless person. So instead of giving money, it's just a token. They can't do anything wrong with it. They go to this location, which they all know, which is nice to meet. And two beautiful things happen that are not happening on the street. Somebody talks to them. And I must say, I'm guilty as well. And I was like, when he presented it, I'd, I was in shock because suddenly, yeah, I was like, uh-oh, I'm one of these people that... And I'm a nice guy. You know, it's strange to tell uh, to tell about yourself, but I'm a, I'm a nice guy. But I also sometimes cross the road to, before I see a homeless person. You know, um, so somebody actually talks to them. And the second good thing is somebody gives them food. You know, with, yeah. And 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 we're just a vodka brand from Schiedam, Holland. So uh, just as a as a little um, imagination of the future, if that happens in all the beautiful cocktail bars around the world. We have a, a beautiful impact. So with that initiative, the, the, the token costs money, right? But that's factored into the cost of the cocktail. Is that how it works? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Gotcha. Yes. So it's, it's sort of, it's, it's basically using the bar as an opportunity to add an extra 5% onto the bill that then, you know, covers a meal for someone, which is amazing, isn't it? And a few things happen, you know, you wake people up, but you're not too much of a teacher. You're not saying, oh, uh, you need, you know, because you're still having a martini or a cocktail with your loved one yeah. or a good friend or whatever. So you don't want to have too much of that yeah, difficulties of the world. You're not for nothing in the cocktail bar. You want to lose them. Yeah. Um, but you can actually, you get some positivity there. And and just three, two months down the line, I, th I think uh, you were there actually, uh, Caitlin, when he presented it, but uh, uh, two months down the line, 
we were in Glasgow for the for the uh, World Cup. I call it that way. Um, and and uh, there was a Canadian gentleman where I was talking to already for years because we were both yeah trying to investigate where we could help with some things. And and he said, you know, keep me online and and let's see what we can do. And and he is representing fourteen hundred uh, venues in in Canada. He's the biggest uh, the biggest uh, 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 nightlife brand basically. Um, and the beauty is because a guy, a bartender, Kevin Patnaut, inspired me and Bob. We inspired uh, the world-class community. Suddenly, Jeff took it to somewhere. We inspired this gentleman in Canada. And, and, and a, no, less than a year later, was 700 venues in, uh, in Canada were having a cocktail on the menu with Catawan. And for each cocktail sold, there was $1 to the food bank. Wow. You know, so it's... Yeah, it, it, I never intended it to be like that. Um, and, I, and again, I don't want this to be just something that provides food to the people. If, you know, if it's possible, I wish. But um, just anything that supports um, the community, really. Look Could around. be a local industry. Yeah, yeah. 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 And then why I'm holding back on this food thing is because I want people to understand it. The, the whole mindset in the beginning was it needs to be something that you can do as a bartender even in these difficult times because i don't want you to spend any money on it it's just rethinking what you're actually doing uh, because that's the key if all these hundreds and hundreds of thousand bartenders do this because th that's how big this whole thing is growing at the moment um we can make a massive difference and sometimes it's difficult to yeah to get people on board but but bob was like and that's the beauty for working for a, for a family business i guess i think it was actually bob that clicked in a second yeah I think it's it's the same sort of process that started taking place like five years ago where we all began examining how sustainable bar operations were, you know, where we might have been wasteful, not using products to their full, you know, use uh, or, or um, you know, things like plastic use, disposal and examining, you know, what it is you can do to make an improvement. And this really, it feels like it's another process of examination, like, you know, not, you know, where can I cut down on waste, but where can I tweak something to m improve the lives of the people around me? And, and that tweak needn't really be eh, difficult at all. It could be the easiest thing to change, but it might have a profound impact, both in terms of your, your community, but as you say, perhaps more importantly, the uh, influence it can have over others who, who see what you're doing. And then that, that cascading domino effect as, as, as others adopt the same practices. Yeah. Great stuff. It's really, it's really cool. And I, do you know what would be great is um, we should get an update on this. We should do another episode um, in uh, I would love in, a, in a year or so and and see what what how how other people are kind of interpreting this this community support thing and, and what other initiatives. Because the more we can talk about it as well, the more we get it out there. You know, it may well inspire them to do something similar and um, and look into you know opportunities in their communities too. Now all these new projects of the world class competition are coming in, mm. and it's so many beautiful details that I'm like, wow, you know, what did we do? You know, and with with huge pride, I don't want to take this because I we just put it out there, and now uh, yeah, people are owning it themselves. That's the beauty of this, and this is also a success factor of this thing, I guess, because no. Two years down the line, nobody knows that I was actually involved in this thing. Uh, and that's also why this is going to be massive. Uh, oh, that's also my hope, of course. But um, just everybody can do this, and it's very simple to do. Um, so let's talk about it way earlier than in a year's time, but definitely 
we should talk about it. As a bartender, as somebody who's been in the industry for a long time, it is nice to see, you know, um, you know, especially big brands. I mean, I know Kettle One's a small, like a small brand, but a big brand. Um, it's nice to see people take on initiatives and it's not for clout. It's, you know, it's from, it's pure of heart. Um, and that just goes to show that like, you know, they're a, an amazing family of people that actually care about the community, not just their own in Chiquitam, but, you know, all over the world. The Make Marvelous series is is, is awesome. And it's, um, I can't wait to see how it, it's going to evolve. Because I remember I was there from day one when Kevin gave his presentation. And then the next year it was Carl Dalton doing the grow and throw seeds. And then, you know, Jeff with, uh, you know, uh, the token program that's run out of Save on Meats here in my hometown, Vancouver. I know what the the homeless population is like here. So it's really great to see it evolve and uh, to catch on and to see other people actually getting serious about it. And I love watching people's ideas. I love the, this, like, I don't know, quote unquote, sustainability challenge, the Kettle One challenge every year, just to see what new people, what people have brought to, to the table of new ideas and how they're supporting and helping their community. So I hope it continues. Guys, thanks so much. Um, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you both. I appreciate the time. Caitlin, you can go and have some breakfast now. Right? It makes us go back to bed. Who knows? It's still dark out. Um, but please stay in touch. And um, let, both of you, you're welcome to come back on anytime you like. Um, so cheers, thanks Dennis. Thanks for having us. Caitlin, thanks. Thank you very much, sir. Thank All you. All right. And thanks for listening, everyone. Goodbye. Thanks for listening to the Diageo Bar Academy Bar Chat Podcast. Follow and subscribe now for more episodes and to rate this podcast. You can also dive into previous episodes featuring conversations between myself and industry experts covering a whole range of interesting topics. See you later, everyone. Bye.